Good morning, church. What a blessing it is to worship together. What a fantastic service it's been so far. Kevin, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Worship leader, thank you so much for leading us. As Arthur said, we're continuing our series called Faithful. Uh, Today we're talking about God's faithfulness, and we've said that your faith is only as valuable as the object of your faith is reliable. A lot of people in our culture put their faith or trust in a lot of different things. People put their faith in their finances. People put their faith in their jobs. They put their faith in politics and politicians. That's a big one right now. They put their faith in achievements, accomplishments, relationships. But ultimately, when you put your faith in those things, you'll end up being disappointed. Why? Because those things aren't faithful. They aren't reliable. But thankfully, when we put our faith in God, we'll never be disappointed because he is faithful. He is totally and completely faithful. Each week in this series, we're talking about a specific way that God is faithful. We talked about how he's faithful to forgive the sinful two weeks ago. Last week, we talked about how he's faithful to rescue the hurting. And today, we're talking about how he's faithful to transform the willing, how God is faithful to actually change our lives in practical and tangible ways. Just like you heard Kevin talking about God changing his life in a practical way. And so if you ever have been frustrated with yourself, if you've ever thought, man, why did I fly off the handle like that? Why can't I grow in this area? Why why isn't my character this way instead of that way? This morning is an encouraging message for you because God is faithful to transform the willing. We're going to be looking at two short passages from the book of 1 Thessalonians. We'll read from a little bit of chapter 4 and a little bit of chapter 5. Hear the word of the Lord, church. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. And then skip into chapter 5, verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. May God bless the reading of his word. When I was in high school, one of my least favorite subjects was history. Apologies to the history buffs out there, but for this math kid, reading about stuff that happened hundreds of years before I was alive was not super interesting. Uh, But there was one thing about history that I loved, and it was the timeline. You remember the timeline? The timeline shows the big picture, and I like this because I could see the context, I could see the perspective, and I have an example for you. Like, here's a little video timeline of the first part of the 20th century here in the U.S. It's going to show all of the big major events. I think we have a video. Yes, here it goes. So, for example, 1900s here, you got World War I, and then after that, there was the great depression, all the significant things happening here. Here was uh, World War II is coming up, and I think there's one more here. Yes, 1958, Bluebell started making ice cream <laughs> full-time. All of the most important things in one picture. What I want to do this morning is show you your spiritual timeline. And like this one, it may not show every single part of your journey, but it shows the big pieces of your journey. And the reason I want to show this to you is because I believe it'll help us give context to our walk with Christ and help us understand today's passage. So here it is. In fact, it's on your note sheet. If you picked up on one one of those on your way in, you can fill it out. But here's the picture of it right here. And so 
Uh, let me give you a, a one warning at the beginning. We're going to use a few big theology words, and I apologize for that up front, but they're important ones, and we'll explain them as we go. So three of them. You ready? You good? Okay. So here on the left side of the timeline, we start before Christ. Before Christ. This is before you met Jesus, before you decided to become his follower. And you know, every single week that we gather in this room, there are people here, and I know there are people here today who are in this part of your journey. And if that's you today, I am so, so glad you're here because the decision to follow Jesus is the very best decision you could ever make. And I've been praying for you this week that you would make that decision. So this is before Christ. And as we keep moving forward in the timeline, we arrive at our first big theology word, and it is justification. Say that with me. Justification. Justification is the act of being made right with God. This is what happens when you turn from your sin and to Jesus. When you put your faith in Jesus, you put your trust in his death on the cross as the atoning sacrifice for your sins. He forgives your sins and he makes you right with God. And in this moment, some amazing stuff happens. You get adopted into his family. You become part of the the body of Christ. You're born again as you receive a new life in Christ. And you receive peace and, and purpose and hope and joy. And again, I'm praying that several people will make that decision today. Okay, so that's the left side. Let's skip over here to the right side. This is our second big word, glorification. Say that with me. Glorification. Glorification is sharing with God's glory in the new creation. This is what will happen for everyone who is in Christ, everyone who has given their life uh, to Jesus when he comes back. When he returns to earth to finish bringing his kingdom, Jesus will judge the world in truth and in righteousness. All who are in Christ will be resurrected, will be given new glorious bodies, bodies that don't need knee replacement surgeries, bodies that don't get sick. We will live together and reign together with Christ in what the Bible calls the new heavens and the new earth, and it will be glorious. Pastor Amy's going to talk about this next week, and I can't wait, and I hope you'll be here to join us. So that's the context. We've got before Christ over here in justification. And we have glorification and new creation on the right side. So where are we? Where does this leave us? Well, for those of us who have already given our lives and our hearts to Christ, but Jesus hasn't come back yet, which he hasn't, we find ourselves right here in the middle. And that presents us with an important question today, and that is, what do you do in the in-between? What do you do in the middle, after you've become a Christian, but before Jesus comes back, after you've been justified, but before you've been glorified? That's a really important question because that's where many of us are right now and where we spend most of our lives. And this passage that we just read addresses this head on. But before we get to the passage, I want to give you two non-biblical answers that people often give to this question of what do you do in the middle? Two ways people sometimes think about this in between time. Two images, a job interview, and a holding pattern. Sometimes people think of this in-between time like a long job interview, like you're in the interview and you're pretty sure you heard the the person say that they were offering you the job, but the interview is still going on and you're really afraid that you don't want to do something to mess it up and have them pull it back. So in this view, we've become a Christian, we we, we believe God saved us, but we're kind of worried that he might undo that offer, he might pull the offer back. So we do our best to be perfect uh, so that he won't withdraw that salvation from us. That's one option. Another option is a holding pattern. You ever been on a flight where you fly 
all the way to your destination, but there's bad weather or the airport's busy, so they put you in a holding pattern. You've been there? They, they make you just fly around in circles and just wait until you're ready to land. Sometimes people think about this in-between time like a holding pattern, like we've already taken off, we're most of the way there, but we're just waiting. We're just flying around in circles. Nothing really important is happening, so we'll just make the most of our time, maybe take a nap, watch a movie, until we're finally with Jesus. But neither of these approaches are biblical, the job interview or the holding pattern. It's not a job interview because uh, God has already given us salvation. And if you have been justified, you have been justified. And God is not going to take that offer away from you. We're saved by grace, not by works. But it's also not a holding pattern. We're not just sitting around waiting for heaven someday. God has something exciting that he's doing right here and now. So if it's not a job interview and it's not a holding pattern, what is it? What do we do in the middle? Well, the Bible teaches us that what we do in the middle is we partner with God in what he's doing right now. We join with God in what he's doing right now in the world. That's mission. That's us going and making disciples. And we partner with God in what he's doing inside of us right now. That's called transformation. We'll do a deep dive another day into mission, but today we want to dive deep into transformation, the work that God's doing in us right now and how we partner with him in that. And that brings us to our last, I promise it was the last one, last big theology word, and this one is right in the middle. It is sanctification. Say that one with me, last one. Sanctification. Sanctification is the process by which Christians become holy. Sanctification is the journey that God takes us on between our justification and our glorification. It's where God, in his grace, changes us in tangible and visible ways so that we learn to live like Jesus would live if he were in our place. Now, I I realize that the word sanctification and holy, depending on uh, your background, may carry a little bit of baggage. In fact, uh, sanctification sounds a lot like another word that we're not excited about, which is sanctimonious. Do you know this word? Someone who's sanctimonious is 100% certain that they're better than you, and they like to tell you that they're better than you. That's not what sanctification is about. In fact, it's the opposite. Sanctification is not about being arrogant. It's about recognizing how far we have to grow, and it's partnering with God. It's opening ourselves to God as he changes us. Sanctification is about becoming the kind of person that God always intended for you to be. It's about learning how to live the good and beautiful life of thriving that he has in mind for you. And the first thing Paul tells us in today's passage about this is that God wants you to be holy. God wants us to be holy, to be sanctified, to become more and more like Jesus. If you look at chapter 4, verse 3, it's very clear. It says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. People are always talking about, how do I know what God's will for my life is? How do I know what I'm supposed to do? This is it. It tells us right here. It's God's will that you be sanctified. A lot of this letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians is about Jesus' return, about glorification. But in between all that talk about Jesus coming back, Paul tells them what they're supposed to do in the meantime, and this is it. He says, God wants you to be sanctified. He wants you to become holy. God doesn't just want you to believe something. God wants you to become something. God doesn't want you to just pray a certain kind of prayer. He wants you to live a certain kind of life. I love the way commentator Leon Morris puts this. He said, it is God's will that God's people should live in God's way. 
Isn't that good? It's God's will that God's people should live in God's way. And in this passage, uh, it tells us about that when Paul was with the Thessalonians, he gave them really practical instructions on how they should live to please God. We'll talk about that in a second. That's their goal, to please God. But, but it's interesting, he said, that, that these, these commands weren't suggestions. They weren't just ideas. They were actually commands. Uh, if we put that next one up here, yes, the instructions, this word instructions in the Greek is actually a military word. So interesting. It's like Paul saying, when we were with you, we gave you your marching orders. And he says it wasn't my idea. He said it was by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It's the authority of the Lord Jesus that wants us, that, that, that gives us these commands. Following Jesus comes with an expectation of how you'll live. Now, just a quick side note. There's a temptation to think that what we're talking about here, sanctification, is just for super Christians. You know the type, right? They wear a cape, have a big J on their chest for Jesus. You know, it's, it's the missionaries. It's maybe the pastors. I mean, not the ones at VRBC. We know they're not the super Christians. But those other pastors on TV... But remember, who, who is Paul writing this letter to? Who's Paul writing this letter to? Really, shout it out. Who's he writing it to? The church, yes. The whole church. Not just the super Christians. No, he wrote it to everybody. This is God's will for all of us to be sanctified. He wants all of us to be holy. And, and what does that mean in practical terms? Well, we don't have time to go through the whole chapter 4 and chapter 5 today, but I hope you'll read it later today because what if you read it what you'll find out is that these instructions weren't about churchy stuff like reading the bible and praying it was actually really practical earthy stuff like relationships like sex like work like how do you treat people who have hurt you those topics feel relevant today 2000 years later i'd say so god's will is that god's people live his live life God's way, that we live a life that pleases him. Paul says that's our goal, to live a life that pleases God. And you might start getting a little nervous at this point because you say, our goal is to, to please God. I, 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 thought that, I thought we couldn't earn our salvation. I thought we didn't have salvation by, by works. And I say, absolutely. The Bible is super clear that we are saved by grace through faith, not by works. But the Bible is equally clear that grace has an impact on us. That grace changes us. Grace teaches us how to live lives of holiness. One of my very favorite passages in the New Testament, I think, puts this together really well. It's from Titus chapter 2. We'll put this up on the screen. Let's look at this together. Paul wrote this, and he says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. So salvation is by grace, not by works. But then check out what happens. He says, It, grace, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. You see that this grace has an impact. It has an effect on us. It teaches us to say no to one thing and yes to something else. No to ungodliness and yes to godliness. And when does this happen? I love this. It says, while we wait for the blessed hope. In other words, in that middle period, you remember? While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's glorification. He's saying, in the meantime, after we've been justified... Before we are glorified, God sanctifies us. His grace has an impact on us. Now, the grace comes first. Don't miss that. The grace comes first, then the transformation. We don't live godly, godly lives so that God will save us. We aspire to live godly lives because he has saved us. We don't live lives of holiness to earn salvation. We live lives of holiness because we've been given salvation. Christian obedience is motivated not by obligation but by gratitude. 
because we're so thankful for who God is and what he's done. And it's also motivated by the fact that the more we come to know Jesus, the more we truly come to believe from the bottom of our heart that God's way is actually best. That God's way is better than our way. Let me see if I can illustrate this. Let's say I want you to imagine that you grew up in a small village where there was no running water. Small village, no running water. So every morning of your life, you have to grab a bucket, walk a couple of miles, get a few gallons of muddy water, and bring it back home. And then one day, something amazing happens. They bring running water to your town. And they come to your house and they say, hey, do you want us to connect your, your home to the water line? And you say, of course, that sounds amazing. And after they're done, for the first time in your life, you turn the knob and unlimited clean water pours out. It's amazing, right? Now, the next morning, are you going to grab the bucket, walk two miles, get the muddy water, and bring it back home? Of course not. You wouldn't do that. Why, why, would, you, why would you go back to the old way when you have the new way, and the new way is so much better? And you probably know where I'm going with this, but I want to take it a little bit further. Would you, after having the new system, would you wear a t-shirt that says, I have running water? Would you go to the local meeting of the Running Water Association? Would you say, hey, one of these days I'm going to use that running water, but then keep walking back to the well? Of course not. That would be pointless, wouldn't it? Why, why, would, you, why would you use the old way when the new way is available? I think that's a decent picture of salvation. Jesus has given us living water, church. We don't have to go to the well anymore. We don't have to find our own purpose, our own joy, our own meaning. It's all available in him. Why would we waste our effort trudging to the well, getting muddy water when there's clean, unlimited water at home? What good is it to wear the Christian t-shirt, to go to church every week, as wonderful as those things are, if we aren't actually experiencing the goodness of the life that Jesus offers? Justification is a beautiful part of our salvation. It is wonderful. It's an amazing gift. But friends, there's so much more. There's so much more. God's will is for us to be sanctified for his glory, for our own thriving, and for the good of the world around us. Your sanctification gives glory to God. It blesses you and it blesses the world around you. Now, Paul tells us this won't all happen at once. Uh, Look back at verse 1. He says, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live uh, in order to please God. And then he says, now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Isn't that interesting? Paul's telling him that sanctification isn't just a a singular point in time. Instead, it's a process. It's a journey. Around here at VRBC, one of our values is under construction. That's what we say. God is working on us more more, more like Jesus every day. It's not always a straight line up and to the right. There are ups and downs. But for those who are followers of Jesus, there is an expectation that our lives will increasingly look more like Jesus. No longer will we reflect the culture around us. Instead, we will reflect the image of the Savior in us. And as we talked about a couple weeks ago, that's going to require something of us. It's going to require ongoing confession and repentance. Let's go back to that running water image for for just a minute. Let's, Let's say that that one, one morning you wake up especially sleepy and just you forget and out of habit you grab the bucket and you start walking. You can see how that would happen, right? You've, been, you've gone there a lot of times. But eventually you're going to wake up and you're going to say, wait a minute, I don't have to do this anymore. I have clean running water at home. So what will you do in that moment? 
You'll, you'll confess that what you're doing is wrong. This is the wrong direction. And then you'll repent. You'll turn from one thing to another thing and you'll go back home. And that's just what God invites us to do. He invites us to make it our goal to please him. And then when we find ourselves out of habit because of our weakness, because of the influence of the world around us, when we find ourselves on the wrong path and we come to our senses through the power of the Holy Spirit, we say, you know what? This is not where I belong. This is not where I belong. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn from my sin and I'm going to turn back to God and head back home. God wants us to be holy, and it is a gift for us to be holy. But you may be squirming right now. If, if you're not, I am, and here's why. That sounds really, really difficult, doesn't it? It sounds really, really hard. There's a reason that there's a saying that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You know that saying? There's a reason because it's true. It's really hard to change. It's really hard to change. If you've ever tried to change a bad habit, you know this is true. If you've ever been out of shape and decided, you know what, I'm going to the gym starting tomorrow, and the alarm goes off at 5.30 in the morning, how easy is it to go to the gym when all you really want is to sleep two more hours and then eat Pop-Tarts? <laughs> Maybe that's just me. Too much disclosure, I don't know. Changing our behavior is hard, isn't it? And it's especially hard when it comes to those ingrained patterns of sinful behavior that have got their, their tentacles down deep inside of us. It's actually next to impossible to change it. Now, there are some high achievers among us with strong willpower, and if you have a lot of willpower, you may be able to change a few things for a little while, but it can't last. We don't have it in, a, in us, church. There's no way for us to become sanctified on our own. God may want us to be holy, but we're not strong enough. But is it hopeless? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because God not only, not only wants us to be holy, God will make us holy. God will make us holy. Look at the rest of the passage. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. I love this so much. In chapter 4, Paul tells us that God wants us to be holy, but here in chapter 5, he says God's the one that's going to make it happen. God is the one who will make it happen. And friends, this is so key because on the one hand, it's a distortion of the gospel to say we're followers of Jesus and then to live like we did before. But on the other hand, it's a distortion of the gospel to believe that we can actually change our lives on our own. We can't. But praise God, we do have the Holy Spirit in us. And he can and will transform us if we will open, him, open ourselves to his transforming work. Pastor Tim Keller describes this using the image of an apple orchard. He says, let's say you have an apple orchard and you decide you want to grow pears. What are you going to do? He said, well, one thing you can try is to add more fertilizer and water. But what's going to happen? You're just going to get bigger apples. He says, another thing you could try is to prune the apple trees. But that's just going to give you more apples. The only way to grow pears instead of apples is to pull up the apple trees and to plant pear trees. In the same way, we cannot experience true change just by trying harder, just by pouring fertilizer or pouring water on our existing tree. We need Jesus to pull the old tree out and plant a new one. We don't need just to get a little bit better. We need to be transformed. We need to be made new. We need to be sanctified. And praise God, in his grace, this is just what he does for us. He makes us new. 
Look back at the passage. Paul prays that God would sanctify the Thessalonians through and through. He prays that they would transform them, that God would transform them, uh, spirit, soul, and body, every part. This is holistic life change we're talking about. This is not just a little bit of improvement in one or two areas. It's every part. God won't leave any part of us untouched if we will open ourselves to him. He wants to change the way we think, the way we feel, the way we speak, the way we act, the way we relate toward others, the way we spend our money, the way we spend our time. God wants to sanctify every corner of our heart, every corner of our life. I read last week about a pastor who asked his 10-year-old son to vacuum the house. And the pastor said, I I heard the vacuum turn on. And then about 45 seconds later, I heard it turn off. And and my son came bebopping in and said, Dad, I'm done. And the pastor said, you vacuumed the whole house. Yeah, Dad, sure did. Son, Superman couldn't vacuum our house in 45 seconds. I did, Dad, I promise. And the pastor said, I did what any loving father would do. I, I took his hand and we walked around the house finding all the places he'd missed. He said, in one corner, we found uh, what looked to be a whole bag of goldfish that had been dumped out and danced on. <laughs> you ever had that in your house? And the son told him, I'm sorry, Dad, I didn't see it. But then together, he said, we finished the job. Later, as he was reflecting on the experience, the pastor said, I realized that's just what the Holy Spirit does for us. He takes us around the house of our heart and says, look at these crushed up goldfish. If we leave them here, bugs are going to get in. It's going to start to smell. It's going to be so much better, so much better once we clean these up. Let me help you get it cleaned up. And then he closes with this wonderful line. The Holy Spirit wants to clean up places that we didn't even know were dirty. Friends, God doesn't just want to forgive our sins. He wants to clean us up. He wants to set us free from the power of our sins. He doesn't want to just justify us. He wants to sanctify us. Why? Because he loves us. Because he desires our thriving. He wants our good. He wills our good. And his way, friends, is so much better. God wants to take our pride and replace it with humility. He wants to take our selfishness and replace it with love for others. He wants to take our judgmentalism and replace it with empathy. He wants to take our entitlement, our sense of entitlement, and replace it with a sense of gratitude. He wants to take our spirit of self-reliance and replace it with a spirit of God-reliance. He wants to take our hurry and replace it with patience. He wants to take our materialism and to replace it with generosity. He wants to take our anger and replace it with love. He wants to take our resentment and replace it with forgiveness. Friends, he wants to vacuum every corner of our heart so that more and more we reflect the beauty and the goodness of our Savior Jesus. So that more and more we are actually living the life that God intended, the life that Jesus died for us to have. And so that more and more we reflect that beautiful image of Christ to a world that's so desperately needs to see it and experience it. So back to the question, what do we do in the middle? What do we do in the meantime? How do we partner with God in what he's doing in us? Well, to use that vacuuming analogy, our role is to open the door to every single room in our heart and say, Holy Spirit, have your way. Have your way. I surrender every part of my life to you. Clean me up. Teach me how to do life your way. Teach me your commands. Teach me 
your truth. And then when he reveals that to you, when he, when he shows that to you, in faith, we obey. We do what God asks us to do, even when it's hard, even when it costs us something, because we truly trust, we truly have faith that God's way is best. And we do all of this recognizing that, that even though we have a role to play, the power for this transformation comes from God, not for us. And so we pray with Paul that the God of peace would sanctify us through and through spirit, soul, and body. And then we have faith. We trust him to do it. I love the end of the passage so much. Did you catch this? Paul says, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. What a comfort that promise is, friends. When you feel weak and you start to wonder if you'll ever really change, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. When you've tried and tried to, to break an addiction or to get past some sinful habit and you keep failing and you feel like a failure, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. When you feel like you've been making progress in your life and then something happens and you become suddenly aware that you still have so far to go, so much room to grow, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have been justified you will be glorified, and praise God, you are being sanctified. So be encouraged, church. Put your trust in God. Put your faith in God. Put your hope in Jesus. By God's grace, open yourself to the transforming of the Holy Spirit, transforming power of the Holy Spirit, and remember that the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the salvation that you have granted to us through the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the justification that we've experienced because Jesus was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We praise you for the glorification, the, the, the beautiful hope that lies ahead of us when Jesus returns to make all things new. And right now, right here in the middle, in this moment, we thank you so much for the gift of sanctification. It can feel a little daunting to, to read that it's your will that we be holy, that we be sanctified, but we know that's actually a beautiful promise because you're the one that'll make it happen. And so in response, dear loving Father, we open every part of our heart to you and to your Holy Spirit and we say, have your way in us. Clean us up. Make us new. Sanctify us by your truth, for your glory, for our good, and for the sake of the world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.